Well, welcome. Happy Resurrection Weekend. Whether you're a visitor or a long-time part of Christian Assembly family, we are so glad that you've chosen to join us today. It's really a joy and a privilege. If you are new, you might be wondering a little bit about this church. This church is a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church that is compelled by God's grace to lead spiritually convinced and unconvinced people to complete commitment to Jesus Christ. Wherever you might be on that spectrum this evening, from convinced to unconvinced, we are glad that you are here. And I believe that God has something he wants you to hear today so that you will say yes to Jesus in a fresh way before the end of our time together. We don't have to live very long in life to know that good news never comes from a graveyard, right? And yet that's what brings us together today. We know that it's not just Easter weekend right now. We also know that Easter this year has fallen on April Fool's weekend, right? As you know about April Fool's, it's the time of year whenever people try to pull pranks on someone, a joke on someone, only later to show them what the truth is, what the, what the real reality is. It's really a reversal of reality. You thought it was this way, but actually the real reality is this way. So history is filled with them. Maybe you've uh, heard of a jackalope, if you've ever heard of a jackalope, a rabbit that supposedly had ants, uh, antlers on it, or maybe you um, heard of the crop circles that were happening a number of years ago? Maybe you remember that, and that was just pranksters. In 1994, there was a hoax going around on April's Fool's Day that Microsoft, which had been growing a lot, had acquired the Roman Catholic Church. They had bought them out. That's what they said in 1994. That was an April Fool's joke. One of my favorite April Fool's jokes of all time was in 1957. It was broadcast by the BBC. Now, at the time in the UK, spaghetti was a rarely, uh, relatively unknown thing. In fact, many Britons at the time were unaware that spaghetti was simply wheat flour mixed with water. So the BBC showed a family in southern uh, Switzerland harvesting spaghetti from the family spaghetti tree. In fact, we have a picture of it. That's the picture that they showed. And they showed that and broadcast that on April Fool's Day, and they were not prepared for their phones to begin to ring. The phones started ringing because viewers wanted to know how they could grow their own spaghetti tree in their backyard. This true story. I'm not making this up. You can look it up. True story. And so the BBC needed to know how to respond, so this is what they said. They said, well, take uh, uh, place a little sprig of spaghetti in a tin of tomato sauce and watch it and hope for the best. That's what they said. So April Fool's jokes often involve reversing something that we thought was reality. You thought a spaghetti tree was reality if you were in Britain in the 57 and had never really seen much spaghetti, but April Fool's it's not. You thought that crop circles were spontaneously just happening around the planet, but April Fool's, some pranksters had made them. So today, I want to talk with you about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and why it is the greatest April Fool's joke of all time. We're going to consider that, but before we do, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your graciousness. And so as we gather now on this Easter weekend, Easter coming from the German word for resurrection, on this resurrection weekend, we thank you 
for defeating death, not only on your behalf, but on our behalf. We thank you for defeating sin so that we could be made new. God, would you help us now? Speak to us. Lord, I love that you've created us in your image because you love us that much. And we don't have to guess what you want to say tonight, but instead, we can know simply from what your word will say to us. Empower it by your spirit, I pray. Make our hearts tender to you. I ask if there are any who are here don't know you, that they would come to know you and place their faith in you. Maybe some who have a heritage of faith, that it would be renewed. And for those who are believers, that they would be built up in you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and grab your bulletin that hopefully you got on the way in. And if you did, flip it open to this little center section and you will see the teaching notes that are there that you can track with me throughout our time together. You can fill in those little notes as we come to them. You'll see the scriptures that are there that we'll be digging into as well throughout our time together this evening. Today what I want to do is I want to tell you why you can believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then I want to switch gears about halfway through. And I want to tell you what happens when you do believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it's very good news. Now maybe you're here and you are spiritually unconvinced. Maybe you're a skeptic. And if you are, I once was a skeptic. I'm so glad that you are here. Maybe you would say, well, I'm not spiritually unconvinced. I'm spiritually half convinced. Maybe you're thinking this, well, I think the resurrection is the greatest April Fool's joke of all time because it never happened. Just like the crop circles were a prank, just like the spaghetti tree, it was a hoax that the disciples played. And now sadly, lots of people have placed their faith in this misguided hoax. I actually feel sorry for Christians because, uh, because they believe in the resurrection. And it might surprise you to know that Scripture agrees with part of what you think. In fact, it's there for you. It says that if Christians believe in something that never happened, then Christians are to be the most pitied people in the world. The Word of God teaches us this, that we were created by God to live in a joyful, right relationship with Him and with one another. People ask me sometimes, Tom, what is God's will for my life? God's will for your life is to know him and live in right relationship with him and right relationship with others and enjoy that, to enjoy him and enjoy right relationships with others. However, each of us have sinned. We've poisoned the relationship with God and with others. Some of us, we've become so suspicious of God that we, we're not really certain that he's good and that he's for us. Some of us, we've become so suspicious that we've gotten to the point where we're like, I don't even think that he's real. I, I just don't believe that. And so we have sinned. And this has separated us from God. But it doesn't only separate us from God, it separates us from one another. It damages our relationships even against our very best efforts. But Christ, in his love, came to pay the penalty for our sin on the cross and show us that God the Father, in reality, is worthy of our trust and our praise in his goodness. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead. So the question then becomes this, do we have any reasons to believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened in history other than the fact that the Bible says it? I mean, clearly the Bible says it, but are there any other reasons? And the answer to that is, in fact, yes. 
If it was a hoax that was created by the disciples to maybe just gain some uh, notoriety or some power for us to believe, if they just wanted to gain some influence, they would not have included so many embarrassing details about themselves. Over and over again, when they record the history, they're saying, well, and this is the part where I ran away, or this is the part when the middle school girl scared me, or this is the part where that guy fled naked through the streets, or this is the part where we all left him. If you're trying to gain influence, you wouldn't put all sorts of embarrassing details about yourself in there. The only reason you would put in the embarrassing details is, in fact, they were true. Plus, in the first century ancient Near East, we have here in the history of the Gospels saying that the first eyewitnesses to the empty tomb were women, and the first eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus Christ was a woman. Now, you have to understand, on that part of the planet back then, 2,000 years ago, no one was celebrating International Women's Day. (laughs) Women could not even testify back then in a court of law. And so if you were making up a story because you wanted to gain influence, you would not make a woman one of the very first eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus Christ. She couldn't even testify in a court of law. Why would you do that? Here's why you would do it. Because that's what actually happened. It actually happened that way. Plus, sometimes people can think, well, you know, maybe it was just this self-fulfilling delusion that the disciples had. They really wanted it to happen, and so they just kind of made it up, or they just kind of thought that it happened. But actually, when you read through the history of the Easter story, none of them were standing outside the tomb of Easter on Easter morning saying to each other, shh, shh, wait for it, wait for it, you ready? Any moment now, 10, 9, 8, 7, no, they... They weren't waiting for it. They weren't expecting it. If this was a hoax made up by a few disciples, it would have been hard for them to keep it a secret even amongst the 12 disciples. But Jesus actually appeared to many other people in addition to the 12, proving he was alive. We get this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3 and forward. It says this, I pass on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom who are still alive, although some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. That little phrase there, when the apostle Paul says, most of whom are still alive, Paul is saying, listen, you don't have to take my word for it, you can go ask them because they were still, most of them, still alive at the time of this writing. James, Jesus' half-brother, at one point thought that Jesus was crazy. In fact, James never was a follower of Jesus Christ throughout all the miracles that Jesus did. He's never listed as a follower of Jesus Christ prior to Jesus' death. I think that would qualify as somebody who's unconvinced. But then, after the resurrection, Jesus appears to James. Something must have happened because James goes from being unconvinced to be willing to die for his faith in Jesus Christ. The whole idea that people say, well, maybe, maybe the disciples stole the body to create a hoax. Well, that doesn't make sense really either if you dig into the history. See, Roman soldiers were guarding the tomb. They were kind of like the Navy SEALs of ancient warfare. So the idea of a few disciples trying to overpower them and steal the body was dangerous as well as pointless. 
You see, if the followers of Jesus weren't willing to fight for Jesus when he was being crucified, if they were all running away whenever he was being crucified, why would they be willing to fight for him whenever he's dead? Why risk your life for a lie if you know that it's a lie? Sure, the BBC pulled off a great hoax that lasted a few days, but you know what? No one had to die for the spaghetti tree hoax. But all of the disciples were persecuted or killed for their testimony that Jesus resurrected from the dead. How is it that the same people who were cowards end up not only then courageously sharing and preaching about the good news of Jesus Christ, but they are now willing to die instead of stopping that. You know when you begin to scream, April fools, we were just kidding. You begin to scream that whenever they say, we're gonna kill you if you don't stop. That's the moment you're like, the gig is up. April fools, we were just joking. (laughs) You know why they didn't do that? Because it's not a hoax. You know why you will let them kill you? Because you know that the worst they can do is kill you, but you know that God can undo the worst that they can do to you. You'll let them kill you because you just saw God resurrect someone. You just saw the resurrected Christ who proved that he was alive to you by eating food, so you know that he wasn't a ghost. You know he wasn't a ghost because the body's out of the grave. He showed you his scars. And once that happens, once you see that, once you believe that, all bets are off for the amount of courage that you're going to have in your life. So if the resurrection then wasn't just kind of a hoax played on history by the disciples, then how is it the greatest April Fool's joke of all time? On whom was the joke played? The disciples ran to the tomb and they saw linen wrappings laying there. This wasn't the first time that they had seen a stone rolled away from the tomb. This wasn't the first time that they had seen linen wrappings lying there. Jesus had a friend. His name was Lazarus. And Lazarus had two sisters, Martha and Mary, who were also friends of Jesus. Lazarus becomes sick and eventually dies from the sickness. And we would think story over, right? I mean, as Benjamin Franklin once said, there are only two certainties in life, death and taxes, right? And Jesus told us to pay our taxes, but he had something different to say about death. In John eleven thirty three, it's there for you. It says this, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. And then in verse 38, Jesus was still angry when he arrived at the tomb. Speaking of the tomb of Lazarus, it says a cave with a stone was rolled across the entrance. Jesus is speaking and he tells them, roll the stone aside. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of these people who are gathered around standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped with a headcloth. And Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Now, shouldn't that line read, all of the people who saw this happen believed in Jesus? 
Just like an April Fool's joke reverses something that we thought was reality, the resurrection is the greatest April Fool's joke of all time because it reverses three things that we all face that we thought were the greatest reality over our lives, and it reverses them by replacing them with something much better. The first thing is this. The resurrection of Jesus reverses the power of death with the power of unending life. Lazarus was sick. He's so sick that he dies. But Jesus raises him from the dead. He does this for Lazarus, but Jesus' miracle is never just about the miracle. If your faith is based only upon a miracle, then it really isn't going to be a very deep faith. In fact, as we just read, there were some who saw the miracle, and yet they still didn't believe. The miracle always points to something else. They always are accompanied by teaching that Jesus is trying to help us understand reality. And here's what he said to Martha before he raises her brother Lazarus from the dead. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Lazarus' resurrection was certainly amazing. It was a miraculous event, but it was really a miraculous sign pointing to Jesus' resurrection. And not just pointing to Jesus' resurrection, but it was pointing to the fact that Jesus is the resurrection. Not just that he would be resurrected, but that he is the resurrection and has within his power the ability to resurrect any whom he would choose. You know, it's really quite easy to say that I am the resurrection and the life. We could all say that to each other. But then, it's quite another thing to say those words and then walk to a tomb and say, roll away the stone and actually raise them from the dead. This is where Jesus' miracle becomes good news for us today. He says, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. In other words, what he's saying is, you thought death, you thought sickness was the final reality over your life. You thought it would have the last word over Lazarus' life. But then Jesus arrives on the scene and he stares down death and he stares down sickness, reversing their power. To sickness and death, Jesus announces April Fool's. You thought you were the highest reality, but a new reality is breaking out. The resurrection and the life new reality that can only be found in me. You thought sickness and death that you would have the last word, but in reality, I get the last word, and I've come to bring a new reality. Some of you here tonight, you're sick. Your body is deteriorating. Your body might be dying, but I want you to hear this. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, even though you may be sick, and even though that sickness may eventually lead to your death, you will always be alive. Even if your sickness is unto death, just like Lazarus's was. For anyone who believes in Jesus, there will be a day when you hear your name called, Lazarus, come out, and your death clothes will let go of you. We will leave them behind, neatly folded up, and we will be on our way for the age of death has died because of what Jesus Christ has done. The second thing we see is this, is that the resurrection of Jesus reverses the power of grief with the power of unshakable joy. After Jesus resurrected Lazarus, but before he died, Jesus died on the cross, Jesus had a discussion with his disciples. 
Here's what he says in chapter 16 of John, verse 20 and forward. It says this, I tell you the truth, Jesus is speaking, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. I have told you all of this so that you can have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus is saying, listen, grief will come, trials will come, sorrows will come. Jesus isn't naive. Christianity isn't plastic happiness in the face of our grief, as if our grief isn't real. In fact, Jesus dignifies our grief by his words, saying, no, it's a real sorrow, and it's a real trial. But take heart. Take heart. Your grief It's real, but it's not lasting. Christ has overcome the world. Well, how has he done this? Well, he's done it in the most grievous way possible by dying on the cross so that we might live. Why did he die? Because he did not want death and sin to have the last word over our lives. You can be forgiven of your sins. You can be cleansed. You can be made new only in Jesus Christ, period. There is no other name by which you can be saved. Many of you who call CA home will know this, but one of my undergraduate degrees is in world religions. I studied Buddhism under a Tibetan Buddhist monk. I studied Islam under an Islamic imam. I've studied Judaism under a rabbi. I studied Hinduism under a Hindu practitioner. I've studied all of it to the point where I got a college degree in it. Let me tell you what Buddha never said. Buddha never said he could save you. Let me tell you what Confucius never claimed. Confucius never claimed that he could save you. By the way, Muhammad never said that by his name you could be saved either, and they're all still in the grave. You can't be saved by any of them. You can't be saved by your mom. You can't be saved by your job. You can't be saved by your stock portfolio. You can't be saved by your gym. You can't be saved by your bank. You can't be saved by your politician. You can't be saved by your sports team. You can't be saved by your video game tribe. You can't be saved by trying really hard to be a good person. You can't be saved by this church. You can't be saved by showing up on Easter. You can't be saved by your favorite pastor. You can only be saved by Jesus Christ period. But that salvation requires you to trust him and believe that he's telling you the truth, that he is the way, the truth, the life, and the resurrection. And you'll notice there he doesn't say that I'm a way or I'm a truth or I'm a life or I'm a resurrection. He is the only one with an empty tomb in all of history. And if you believe that, no matter what grief or sorrow comes your way, it won't have the last word. Because when they come, God's Spirit will remind you of Jesus' words, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Your grief and sorrow may come, but it won't have the last word because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And he makes that available. That same power is available to you. 
Third and finally, we see this. The resurrection of Jesus reverses the power of the enemy with the power of the Father's love. As Jesus was headed to the cross, he said this in John 14, verse 30. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. There is a ruler of this world who is your enemy. But Jesus goes on and says, he has no power over me. Don't get confused. It is not a battle. It is not a contest between equals. He has no power over me, Jesus says, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Rise, let's be on our way. And I love that phrase. It's like what he's going to say to Lazarus. Rise, let's be on our way. For the dead in Christ, you will one day hear, rise, let's be on our way. Jesus made the astonishing claim that he would soon be victorious over the devil and terminate his power. And this was accomplished by Jesus' death and resurrection, which resulted in freeing sinners from Satan's grip to live under the love of the Father. That's why Jesus said in John 12, verse 31 and on, the time for judging the world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, which means whenever they put me up on the cross, I will draw everyone to myself. He, in, he said this to indicate how he was going to die. The world was created, you were created, to live under the gentle, peaceful, loving rule of the Father. But through sin, the enemy hijacked God's good plan for us. The enemy is arrogant enough to think that he has all the power, but Jesus is clear that he has no power over Christ and that the ruler of this world will be cast out. Why will he be cast out? He will be cast out so that we can be drawn to Jesus and return to the love of the Father. Where will he be cast out from? He will be cast out from the life of any who want to say yes to Jesus. And as you say yes to Jesus, someone more powerful than the enemy will take up residence in your life now. For those who respond to Christ's invitation, and this is a key, keep on responding Keep on saying yes to Jesus. You are invited to be freed from the penalty of your sin, from the power of your enemy, and be returned into the loving embrace of your heavenly Father who created you. That's why God's word says in Romans chapter 6, verse 4 and forward, it says, For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So we don't gather now just to celebrate something that happened in history. We gather to celebrate something that happened in history that was his story that can become our story. It goes on and says this in verse 5 of, of chapter 6 of Romans. So we have been united with him in his death. We will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful lives were crucified with Christ. Get this, so that sin may lose its power in our lives. Once you believe that Jesus Christ has defeated death, it's a lot easier to believe he can defeat your addiction. Once you believe that Jesus Christ has defeated death, it's a lot easier to believe that he can restore your marriage. Once Jesus Christ, you believe and see that he's defeated Death, it's a lot easier to believe that he can restore the relationship with your child or maybe you with your parent. 
Once you believe that Jesus Christ has defeated death, it's easy to believe that God has good plans for your life. It goes on in verse six and says, so that we might lose, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we also live with him. We are sure of this, why? Because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. April Fool's death, that's what the resurrection says. And when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. And now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. And here's the last verse. So you also should consider yourselves dead to the power of sin and alive to God again through Jesus Christ. Jesus' resurrection reversed reality. Nothing has changed the world like the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus rose from the dead, then nothing is the same. Everything is different. How you view everything will be different. Sickness, death, grief, sin, and the enemy all thought that they had the joke on us and the joke on, on God's good plan until Jesus came and he pulled off the greatest reversal of all time, the greatest April Fool's joke of all time, only it's no joke. Now our grief is a temporary experience on our way to an everlasting, unshakable joy. Now the power of the enemy is defeated and the Father's love is what we experience as it's eternally restored for us. Now the funeral procession is no longer headed for the grave, but it's headed for a homecoming. We must not make the mistake to think that this applies to everyone just because you've heard this story or just because you know history or just because you're hearing it right now or just because you're alive right now. That's not what Jesus said. We have a role to play and it's a critical role. When Jesus met Martha in her grief, whenever she was coming out to meet him as when Lazarus had died, Jesus told her the truth but then he asked her a question and it wasn't rhetorical. And so tonight I'm gonna ask you Jesus' question and it's not rhetorical. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. And here's the question, do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. Maybe a friend invited you. Maybe it's just your habit to come on Easter. Maybe you just thought it would be a good thing to do. Maybe you thought you were coming to a church service, but tonight you've come to an encounter with a question from Jesus. And here it is. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Do you believe this? If you do, then you have responded to the good news that holds the power to undo all the other bad news that you will ever face in your life. Martha said yes to Jesus, and that changed how she lived then and forever. But now it's your turn. Will you decide to say yes to Jesus? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your goodness that you didn't leave us with death having the final word over our life. 
And so now, Lord, we've read your word. We've sung songs celebrating you. Lord, I've preached from your word. And now, I ask by the power of your spirit, would you prompt us to respond just like Martha did? On your way in, in your bulletin, hopefully you got a response card. It looks like this. Would you grab it even uh, if, if you're like, I don't know if I'm even gonna need it. Just grab it anyways for me. Just grab it. And so we're gonna stay in a prayerful attitude. And maybe for you, your response to Jesus is you need to say yes to him. Maybe for the very first time. Maybe it's a new commitment for you. You're now hearing the fact that God loves you so much that he created you to do life with him and life with others in right relationship, both now and forever, but that's gotten sabotaged and hijacked. And, and so he sent, God, he sent Jesus Christ as the rescuer to come and pay the penalty for your sin, to release you from the power of it and eventually release you from the presence of it so that you can be restored to God's good plan for you. And maybe you're thinking, well, Tom, listen, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. If you knew, then you know it wouldn't be just that simple. Well, listen, I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've done. But I do know who died on the cross. And what he's done on the cross, and then through the resurrection, has the power to forgive you of your sin. So what you need to decide is will you say yes to him? If you want to say yes, you can just pray with me now. God, I'm saying yes to you. Jesus, I want to be a follower of yours, trusting in your good news. The death, that sin, that worry, that shame won't have the last word over my life. That grief won't have the last word over my life. You asked Martha, do you believe this? And I want to say like she said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And if that's you for the first time you're making that decision, can you fill out that response card? And then you can just check the top box. Maybe for others of you, you've heard the good news of Jesus Christ. But maybe you've drifted away and you need to say yes to Jesus again. Discipleship in Jesus isn't saying yes one time. It's saying yes over and over and over again, trusting in his goodness over and over and over again. And maybe you've wandered away from that a bit and now God is calling you back. He's saying, I've brought you here not just to a church service, I've brought you here so you can be encountered with the resurrected Jesus Christ who says, do you believe this? And maybe you need to say, I'm saying yes again, Jesus. And if that's you, you can just fill that card out and mark the recommitment. Maybe for others of you, you're like, I haven't ever heard much of this before. I'm not certain what I think right now. And for you, maybe the way you need to say yes to Jesus is to get serious about investigating faith in him. Jesus Christ is either the most important person who's ever walked on the planet or he's the least important person who walked on the planet. Either he is the resurrected Lord who is who he said he is or he's a liar or maybe he's a lunatic who was crazy. Those are the options encourage you to investigate. And maybe for you, you're saying, you know, I need to make a, a commitment to Jesus at some point. I need to get serious about investigating faith in Jesus. And that last group would be just those of you that say, you know, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus, 
but I want to learn a little bit more about what it looks like to do life in his community and this community called Christian Assembly. And you can check that final box. And so God, now, as I've laid out the options of what it means to say yes to you, would your spirit be at work? Would you call people to respond and say yes to you and to everlasting life? Thank you for your good news. Thank you for not giving sin or death the last word over our lives as we place our faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So take a moment now. We're gonna have some music for you to just respond and have a moment to consider how you wanna respond and say yes to Jesus. (laughs) 